Hello and welcome to episode 99 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray with you as we wander once again the less travelled highways and back roads of this great game. For the last couple of years there's been a disturbing global trend around repurposing public golf. From Glasgow in Scotland to Moore Park here in Sydney and Toronto in Canada, the game's urban footprint is coming under increased scrutiny and pressure. Last week, a bill in the California legislature, which offered incentives to municipalities to close their public course in favour of affordable housing projects, was stalled. Understandably, the local golf industry was delighted with that outcome. But is it too early to celebrate? Public golf and its place in the world's urban centres is clearly a topic that's not going away, and today we are going to discuss how we got here and what we should do about it. When I say we, I mean my co-host Adrian Logan's special guest, Rick Young of Score Golf in Canada. We'll hear from Rick in just a moment, but first, Adrian Logue. Logue, it seems this issue really is one that isn't going to go away. The danger for golf in some ways, and we will talk about this, is to take little victories like the California bill and think that the war's Job's over. Job's done. Yeah. Yeah, and it won't go away, and I think a topic of the conversation today will be if, if it does fade away, then's the time to prepare for the next wave of whatever golf needs to fend off in order to preserve its its playing arenas. Right, and we will come to that, and there's a whole bunch of stuff to do about that. Before that, let's get to Rick. Rick Young's a long-time writer at the highly regarded Score Golf Media Juggernaut, where he's the equipment and business analyst. But he was also a speaker at a recent City of Toronto Council meeting where plans to reduce the public golf offering were being discussed. Rick, welcome. First things first, can you give us a quick thumbnail sketch of what was slash is happening around that whole Toronto thing. We probably haven't kept up as well as you have, obviously, over this side of the planet. <laughs> yeah, the the whole city of Toronto thing was an interesting uh, was was a was an interesting exercise right from the get go. Um, it began as an audit, Rod. It, it was a simple audit of the um, of the actual golf courses themselves. Um, it was precipitated by the city of Toronto um, by city council. And, you know, just to give the, 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 the viewers and listeners a, a quick uh, synopsis, there's five City of Toronto-owned golf courses, um, city-owned and operated. Uh, they're right in the heart of the city. Uh, they're easily accessible by foot, by bike, uh, by public transit, by car. Dentonia uh, Park is and- one of them, isn't it? It's got the subway. That, we saw that fabulous oh. video with Christine Fraser. Yes. Oh, it's, it's 100%. Yeah. Like, it, it's, I mean, it, it's, nothing, it's nothing in the summertime to see a group of of um, of young guys or 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 girls um, with with clubs on their back um, boarding the subway and heading to one of the five courses: D'Antonia, Scarlet Woods, Humber. Um, it, it's 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 actually pretty cool. We that, should that have more. Fantastic. We should have more of that, Rick. Not less. That's exactly how golf should look. That's that's what I precisely. Was. <laughs> this is what I was trying to say, and that's actually to be to be perfectly honest with you. That's. Uh, that was part of my my deputation. Is is I've suggested to the city of Toronto, which which um, you know they have five public facilities and and they're they're owning and they that they own and operate. But I'm saying you need to invest in more because it's 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 good business. Yeah. But unfortunately, somewhere over along the line here, we've gotten all fouled up with with our priorities relating to the game and the importance of municipal golf. And, you know, the people like the Sandy Jamesons and the Karen Hardings and the, the, the Rod Morris and Adrian Logues and like we we understand it. We, we get it. But we we're not educating the, 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 the people that need to know about it. We're, we're spending too much time talking 
you know, golf talks to golf too That's much. Exactly that bubble. We need to start, yeah. we need to really start trying to focus a little bit more on, on educating the public out there that don't play. So, you know, just to get back to your original question, Rod, I mean, so this was precipitated just by the city, um, but they were, they were pressured. There's a lot of alternative use groups up here that were putting pressure on city council to look into these five courses for potential urban farming, for urban gardens, for alternative uses. Several people, many people, wanted to see them completely shuttered. Mm-hmm. Like they, they would just as soon take golf completely out of the picture and 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 use those those public lands for for other uses. So almost and yeah. that's really disturbing, yeah. obviously. And and I think at the end of the day, um, the fact that the city of Toronto has fifteen hundred city city owned parks and operated parks, and they're doing an audit on five golf courses, then that's being conducted by an urban planning firm. I think that gives you to a really good idea of just how fouled up this whole process was. Well, it's an interesting question, isn't it, Rick? I'll come to you on this, Log. Is an audit not a legitimate thing to do for a city of all of its recreation facilities? If it, if it was only the golf that's getting ordered, Rick, that's obviously a different thing. But that's – golf can't be – well, golf needs to be in a position where it's not afraid of an audit, does it not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it needs to have uh, arguments lined up for this sort of thing. And it – but it also may need to give give away some ground. Uh, like I think we've got to, in certain places at least, we've got to give up the notion that that is a single use uh, facility exclusively for golf. Like we we do need to give that give that up to some extent, at least for public golf facilities. And it wouldn't hurt the old private golf facility to chip in and and offer up um, some assistance to public golf thereby relieving some of that pressure as well and opening its opening its doors um so yeah it, it is all about and you feel like the game book that you could produce for this would work all around the world yeah. right like there's there's some sort of playbook that golf as an advocacy group could produce that would work all around the world whenever it's under threat because the themes seem to be the same in Here's every the powerpoint <laughs> exactly <laughs> take yeah. that away and you will come to the, <laughs> yeah. the obvious conclusions yeah. which begs the question rick whose job is that because of course golf is this both to its uh, eternal credit and detriment. It's a loose affiliation of a whole bunch of organisations. We don't have a golf dictator. We don't have somebody who represents golf. It's both public and private. Whose job is that to be that player in the market that advocates for golf, public golf in particular? So, you know, you're you're looking at situations. So let's 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 use United States as an example. Um, the U.S. Uh, America uses the National Golf Foundation. I mean, it's it's in place as the as the as the watchdog for municipal and public golf. And if I, I'm not sure you two can speak, obviously, to to Australia and maybe your part of the world. But I can tell you in Canada, we don't have that. We don't have a, a, a single organization um, that's or, or a steering a steering organization that's that's in business. Um, or even on a volunteer basis, to be the watchdog for for municipal and public golf in this country, and that to me, that to me is a problem, a huge problem. I mean, we saw what happened with the Southern California Golf Association and and uh, and Christina Garcia's Bill Six Seven Two. Now, thankfully, it's defeated, but the fact that she was actually able to get it from 
from the written stage to actually probably what you would you and the three of us would call three steps into the process of actually becoming in the, the being passed. That's disturbing. I think it should be very disturbing for for this you know for for, for municipal golf. So I guess in the in the, in the in the big picture, Rod, what we really need is. <laughs> It's it's great. I think it's great that the, the three of us and Sandy and Karen and and um, and 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 all the other advocates out there for public golf are speaking up on this. But it, it feels like we're on a, we're on a bit of a mission on our own here, mm. and there really needs to be penetration from from other organizations either on a national basis or a world basis to 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 take this problem on because I'm going to tell you and you guys already know this this is not going away it's this not. is going to be a significant significant issue for for probably as long as whatever time I've got left on this planet. Yeah, yeah. It, it's no. And, you don't need a crystal ball to look forward <laughs> no. and see well, what that water yeah, is going to be yeah. an issue. Yeah. Green space is going to be looked upon as like is that being used responsibly? Uh, big urban uh, parkland is going to be an issue, especially in metropolitan areas. That's it, you don't need a crystal but, ball to know any of that. And golf is intersecting pretty, with pretty all of those issues. All, <laughs> in those, you know, I think I think Adrian hits on something very very important there though. The green space issue is the one that we can act, it's the one that we can actually utilize as an industry to really to really be, become much better or or to to at least have the, the the public much better educated about what golf courses are and what they can be. I mean Golf courses are are they're biodiversity havens for for goodness sake. But I mean, than, I don't think we need to <laughs> better than right? parks. Yeah, no. yep. we need to we need to make sure that more people understand that. There's a reason that 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 they you know that they grow bees on 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 golf courses as pollinators. Mm-hmm. There there's a reason for all the flora and the fauna that are that are on these golf courses as as green spaces. And as this world shrinks into the urban jungle that that we know these are this is going to be one of our our key arguments and in many ways it goes against a little bit of of what i seen i saw from delegate garcia in in california i mean she's a democrat and but she's also an environmentalist so what does that actually say hmm. well i'll tell you what it says it says that she hasn't done any education she has not looked into this at all. Just briefly think, explain to yeah, us, ahead, uh, if you could just briefly explain to us, please, Rick, the uh, the main points of the bill that she put forward. As I understand it, is to reuse uh, golf courses, public golf courses in California for she, urban development. Yeah, so, I mean the, the the bill in itself was 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 done to close um, any municipal based golf course in the state of California. And uh, um, for for urban housing, and 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 look, I I appreciate the fact that urban housing is a huge problem in the state of California. It is, but as Brad Klein said in a story that I saw either yesterday or today, I don't remember which. I mean, what about all the strip malls that they they okayed over the last twenty years, where they could have been putting in 
various forms of urban uh, of, of urban development in terms of of, of inner uh, urban housing and that kind of thing. Where did that? What happened there? Hmm. I mean, so this is this is the this is what's the part of the bill that is really got people up in, in arms, Adrian. That that's the thing that's really got people going here is she wants to remove green space out of out of a state that's making it such a massive priority. It's a huge priority in the state of California. And and here she is trying to lobby for for the complete elimination not only of an industry but of literally thousands of acres of green space. You're touching on something, Rick, that I think is actually pretty important. I'm not sure that's actually quite accurately reflected. It's important that everybody in this debate on all sides argues in good faith and from an educated position. I want to just quote from Will Bardwell, who you'd be familiar with at Lying For, uh, a very keen mind, uh, interesting guy. He wrote a fantastic column about this. I just want to read a couple of things out of it. The bill would not require any local government to convert its municipal golf course to low-income housing. It would merely set aside grant money to support local governments that want to convert their courses. And it's important that we in golf report this accurately. So a couple of headlines that he quotes. Could all California municipal golf courses be converted to housing? A new bill proposes just that. Well, it doesn't. And that doesn't do our cause any good. That's from Golf Week. California's public golf courses to be converted to public housing in latest progressive initiative. It's from a California newspaper. That's not quite true either. Now, we know how the media works. Man bites, dog sells. Dog bites, man doesn't sell. And that's how we get these things. But we do ourselves a disservice, do we not, in what is an important debate. Coverage of the bill has ignored the human cost underlying the bill's proposal. California's housing crisis has pushed the cost of living far out of reach for an untold number of families and something must be done. That's not to say this bill is the solution, but it should open the golf world's eyes to the very real threats presented by its decades of apathy toward the game's widespread public disapproval. Now, there's a few things coming together there, but all of that is true. Are we not in golf? Do we not need to be responsible in what we say about these things too? It doesn't help our case if we're suggesting that what uh, what representative, I think she's called, Christina Garcia, is suggesting there was no and there has never been any edict from her that all municipal courses should be closed. It's important, I think, that we note that. Now, I'm not for the idea of incentivising the closing of public golf courses for housing. However, having said that, if there was a stark choice that said people have nowhere to live, here is a golf course, people need somewhere to live, that's a worthwhile debate, is it not? We should acknowledge that. No matter which side you end up coming down on, but you should acknowledge that there is some legitimate concerns around that. Yeah, and I think Brad does that in his in his article. Actually, quite I haven't well, read Brad's, but Brad's very article. very oh, good. I've, I've got I've got a link and, to and, that for the show notes. And to be to be fair to the to the entire issue, um, yes, I mean the world's economy is is um, I mean it started in two thousand and eight and has has mm. sort of trickled that trickled down into the wrong directions in a, in a lot of ways, and and certainly the the middle class has become somewhat, you know, middle lower class, and and middle lower class has become lower class, and so on down. Um, does it? Does is? I think there's no question that it would be it. It's behoo of the of the of the golf industry industry to acknowledge um, that these are the, these sorts of things exist. These issues mm. do exist, and and in some ways. They could, it could, we could as an industry be more sympathetic um, to the situation, 
golf has very a lot of very very smart people it would be great to hear what some of them had to say about possible alternatives that they haven't looked into or things that maybe they 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 haven't thought about you know this is one thing about this this issue that that you know we we just we we haven't not enough people have thought about i think everything that goes into the the the, the whole equation and I, I I believe right now that that if we are if we are a smart industry, we will look at this as as opposed to you know getting our dander up. We'll try to play. We'll try to be you know. Uh, we'll try to be part of a, a solution. solution rather than a problem. If we if we can, but having also but having said that, we also know that there are situations like the city of Toronto that were so on the other side of the line that it was just, it made no sense. Like there are, and this is part of the issue. I think Rod, honestly, um, you know, you two have gone through this with, with Lord mayor Clover uh, more down there um, with, and, and the situation and and with um, some of the other municipal golf courses. I mean, there are some emphatically crazy ideas in the world of politics and in many cases, what it is, is there's a lot of people that are trying to utilize these things to, to as, as political ploys, as mm-hmm. political agenda. Often very and, lazy ideas as well, know, right? To, to, to take advantage, Adrian, of, of, of deep-pocketed, deep-po- deep-pocketed developers that these people know, mm. you know, and, and, and giving them that opportunity to build something that they've been promised or have been talked about or, or whatever. Well, it could be. And so... This this is a multi pronged issue. It is in Australia. It is in the city of Toronto. It has been in the Southern California Golf Association and across North America in general. And, and again, um, it's not it's not going away. No matter what we think or what we believe, um, it's only going to ramp up. And and urban housing is not always going to be what precipitates it. Mm. Even taking away the, those possible motivations of being looking to you know collude with developers or something even taking away those motivations it's very it's just an easy target isn't it to to say oh "Oh," just point at a golf course and say uh you know more green space for the people or urban development or you know cheaper affordable housing or something like these are just things that cut through and it's very easy to hand wave it's lazy it's lazy politicking to just hand wave at a golf course and and say, there's your solution to all the problems. We're going to repurpose that land. So, do we cry about that? Or what does golf well, do? I think because we, golf I think needs we... to come up with its own That's easy right. cut-through statements that, that take that on, but also go down to a deeper level and be able to debate the topics in at, good at a much lower level in good faith. In good faith. Yeah. Does this not come back, though, to something that, and I know I probably bang on about this too much, but it seems to me at the very heart of all of these issues and the reason golf is an easy target is because golf has done nothing to help its own image. And the perception of golf beyond golf is private golf. We saw it in the Nicky Gemmell column in The Australian last year about the affordability. If you can afford the gear and the clobber, you can afford to travel out of town to play and all of those sorts of lazy- it's absolutely nonsense for more park golf. It's complete nonsense for pretty much all municipal yeah. golf and all public golf. But is that not the core? And I'm pretty sure this is what Rick's been saying too. If we fix mm-hmm. that, do not a lot of these problems start to solve themselves? And then the second question becomes, how do we do it? Because 
golf's a victim of its own yeah, success in some ways. Well, we, well, we've got our own press. This is the problem. So we talk amongst ourselves. Now, most golfers, week-to-week golfers, aren't interested in this. They're only interested in their 34 Stableford points that they had on Saturday, and that's what golf is to them. There's nothing wrong with that. But we've got our own press, so we talk to ourselves all the time. We've got to get beyond that. But am I right in thinking that at the very core of all this is this problem that golf has as an image of an elitist pursuit? Yeah, I mean, it it has all of those problems, but it also has a, an enormous asset in that golf, in golf and golf courses are an asset to the community, sp- particularly public golf courses. They're an asset, and we don't make enough of that. Financially, environmentally, in good uh, space. And for uh, mental health things, for people to be doing things, recreation activities, all, all sorts of reasons. But in, in every single one of those areas, golf doesn't do as good a job as it could be doing. I think just look at the environmental situation and public courses in Sydney tend to be managed little better than a parkland, mm-hmm. uh, you know, strip of uh, like a nature strip. But, you know, you get in gang mowing every once a week or and then they might mow the greens twice a week. And that's about the extent of the environmental management that's done at a lot of public golf courses. Um, whereas what needs to be done is this rewilding of those areas and so that you do attract the right flora and fauna and pollinators and you become a net contributor it become a net contributor and you can actually point at areas of the golf course away from the playing surfaces where it has been rewilded and it's actual indigenous uh scrub and some of the last enclaves of indigenous mm. flora and fauna that you'll find anywhere in those metropolitan areas at the golf course um, and that's an area that uh, private courses can really take Absolutely. the lead on. Kate Torgensen um, is the person to speak to. Look, Kate Torgensen, all the work Harley Cruz is doing yeah, at various places. Sure, yeah. Is it the danger, I feel, Rick, that at the fringe of each side of this debate, on both the golf and the anti-golf side, there are some lunatic fringes that you wouldn't listen to either if you were going to have a sensible discussion, but is there a danger as golfers that we just assume golf belongs everywhere? So I've been watching the desert swing in the US. And as happens to me every year when I watch the desert swing, I think to myself, that doesn't look right. That recreation does not sit comfortably in that John, environment. John Rahm agrees it's just a putting cop. If I, John <laughs> Rahm agrees it's just a putting cop. If I was in any way anti-golfer, if, if I was just ambivalent about golf, I'd be open to the notion that that shouldn't be there. What do we do about some of those things? We, <laughs> I mean, this gets into that. This gets into that um, that whole debate about the the amount of 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 land that that this game takes up and associated resources in the desert, in particular, water. Rick, you can't help Precisely. but look at that bright green strips of golf out there and think, really? As I understand it, courses yeah. at least in some desert areas, like Arizona, and I'm not defending desert golf. It does look very weird to me, but as I understand it, they. Uh, that they act as buffers and reservoirs for the city as well. Like they take a lot of runoff from the surrounding. And Andy city. Staples did explain it to us when we had him on the ISEC podcast, and it yeah, made some sense. Yeah. Now I'm sure it's not managed incredibly well everywhere, but um, but you know there is a uh, at every urban um, setting. Uh, I, I played a game at Karela here in Sydney the other day, and you couldn't build houses on. The back nine at Carilla. It's very low lying. It would fl- it, and it floods. I'll find Is you it- ten developers in ten minutes. <laughs> will tell you the opposite. <laughs> and, and those houses, any houses they build there, will be underwater pretty quick. But uh, it, it takes all of the runoff from the surrounding suburb, and it's better that the golf course floods than 
the, yeah, the surrounding suburbs. So it's not glamorous. This stuff is it, Rick? So golfers aren't particularly no. interested, and that's part of the problem, isn't it? It it, it is. It's it's it's. There's a lot of down and dirty stuff here. I mean, it is. It's it's not it's not glamorous as you as you point out, and um, but it's it's very real. It's um, it's how we live, mm. and so I think. I think the um, you know the one the one group that I point to a lot in this particular situation are the golf course superintendents. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, those guys are on the front lines. They're the they're the people. They're the unsung heroes of, of golf. Um, but at this you know, and at the same time, they can be construed as the um, you know as as as, as sort of uh, the the Darth Vader's mm-hmm. of the. Um, of this industry, right? Because there's that perception out there that they, they're the ones that are using all these water. They're the, they're the ones that are, that are, you know, they're, they're throwing those buttons and they're hitting those computers on their phones and starting up those sprinkler systems and, and all that kind of thing. And so that's, that's never going to go, that's never going to go away. But I think if we can, if we can make people understand what golf courses can be when it relates to like stormwater runoff, for instance, I mean, and how important that is and the biodiversity elements that, 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 that go into cooling a city, you know, with the, with the flora and the fauna, the trees and that kind of thing. And, and you guys both know, I'm, I'm hardly a tree lover, but I fully understand and appreciate what they do in a, uh, in a, um, a, 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 a green grass setting, like a golf course. Mm. I, I mean, they're 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 super important. Your, your point, Rod, about about uh, Arizona, I, I think it's a great example of of golf. That's it's 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 not exactly the way that that you would see it or or portray it. But then I look at that and I look at some of the grasses and the grass types that are used um, with you know zoysia and some of the things that are being come up that, that have been. Um, brought along by you know the USGA green section and and you know some of the you know some of the the, the green sections of 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 this game worldwide and I think to myself we are trying maybe what we're not doing is we're not telling our stories yes. this gets back to what 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 Loger Log just said hmm. we need to we need to be better at telling these stories we need to get better at 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 talking at not talking to golfers and talk to non-golfers. We need to change the playbook. That's what we need to do. I think but the, what really, that's what this comes down to. This is what I believe. I believe when it comes to municipal golf, we really need to change the playbook yeah. from what we've been doing, throw it out, get a new playbook. That's what we need. The, the so de- the desert golf. I, thing I is- think part of that is going on. To, I think part of that is being, is to, is to stop being so defensive and try to go on a little offense by by telling people in a in a very mindful, respectful way that this game is is good. This game can really help, you know, in a lot of different areas for 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 so many things. And that's some of the stuff we're not talking about. And there's a lot of golf adjacent stuff that we can bring into it as well. Like, I, and this is where private courses can help. I'm always struck by the fact that Royal Melbourne Golf Club invites people to come on a walk mm. and inspect the heathland yeah. around Royal Melbourne. The last remaining heathland in suburban Melbourne. Exactly. And 
it's only a Royal Melbourne that's capable of doing something like that because, the, again, the public courses don't have that level of environmental management the on them. But a private course can lead the way and raise awareness of something like that, which isn't even people coming to play golf. It's a golf-adjacent thing just showing that you know, we're preserving this thing. That's an incredibly good uh, oh, public no education exercise. Question. And then that can... Uh, that's going to happen at Sandy Links next door now because it's under the same management as Royal Melbourne. And that'll start to happen at, you know, your Cheltenhams and Oatleys and, and things like that as well. So um, it's uh, it, it's those golf-adjacent things. Yeah. Sorry, Rob. Just, that's okay. Just to go back to the desert golf thing, and it's a case of poor optics. But as Pat Jones explained to us when he came on the, the uh, podcast to be argumentative, he was deliberately very, very argumentative. Clever, very clever guy. But uh, very compelling and, and quite right. He knows a lot more than us about this sort of stuff. The optics are bad, but the reality behind some of those stories is actually a very positive one, because I think what you're saying, the development of certain grasses that are drought tolerant and uh, don't need as much water and those sorts of things. And even among the golf community, we don't tell those stories, mostly because golfers aren't interested, but we do need to tell those stories beyond. So once again, golf gets the optics wrong which allows these misrepresentations to become commonplace. Past Parliament, Yaslinks last weekend is a good example. I think it's very salt tolerant and, uh, you know, it's a really good option for coastal courses and probably something we should consider in Sydney. The rich man games stereotype continues to haunt us. It does. It's been haunting us for 40 years Mm -hmm. and it, it, it continues to haunt us now, you know, 20 one years into this century, it hasn't gone away. And we haven't done a good enough job at deflecting it and, and getting it pushed to the back burner. And that continues to be a significant problem, especially when um, you, you, you have people that are quoted in, in newspaper stories, like the one that appeared here in the Toronto Star just a day before um, the City of Toronto deputation that I was involved in. And, and in that story, a woman is quoted about being, you know, the, the, the being a, it being a rich man's game. Yeah. So just look at the three of and us. And it's only for, it's only gold. for a select, only for a it's select, a yeah. uh, very small minority of, of, of people. And, and it's just so wrong. Yeah. Just, like, it's just so blatantly wrong. Um, let me see if I can do this. Okay. In Canada... There's 2,298 golf courses. Uh, Of that, 2,068 have public access. So that's 93% Mm -hmm. of the golf courses in this country that that, that are available to the public. 83% of the people in Canada are counted as public players. This is not a rich man's game. It's really not. It's it's a game that, that... that anybody can play from five to 95 on a budget. You, you, uh, I, I've, I've seen some of the stuff that Sandy works on, for instance, with getting some of the old clubs and whatnot. You can put together a set of golf clubs for a hundred bucks. Oh, absolutely. Easy. No problem. And, and go out and play your local municipal golf course for, for 25 or, or 20 bucks after two o'clock. It's, it's not a rich man's game. It's a game of the people. That was that's what it was founded on, and that's what it should continue to be. But that's what we need to get across, and that's what we're not getting across. Well, of course, part of the problem there, Rick, is it's not hard to find the rich man's mentality even within the game. We all know of yes. clubs and people who very much portray exactly what it is people think golf is about. They're not our preferred places to play or our preferred people to play with, but they do exist 
in not insignificant numbers. And, of course, the most interaction that non-golfers have with golf in a public sense is professional golf. And what do we see with professional golf? Private planes, fancy golf courses presented in unrealistic uh, settings and expectations like we see with the desert golf. And so there's a problem that comes with that. Now, that doesn't mean those problems are insurmountable. What it means is I don't see the PGA Tour taking any interest in how to fix that image, uh, even though they've got or and, in, and the European Tour, or even our own PGA here in Australia necessarily, using those tour players to promote some of those aspects of golf, most of whom, including Tiger, started at public golf courses. Uh, right. We saw Sergio the other week. Uh, where is he? He's in Texas, I think. There's a local public course there that's under threat, and Sergio was down there yep. playing and tweeting about it and full marks to him. So, the, so that's part of the problem. It's not hard to find. I'm sure that... Yachting is not exclusively for the rich, but I don't know that, and frankly, I don't care. I've got no interest in yachting. Why would I? People from yachting would need to convince me otherwise, and that's what we need to accept in golf. The responsibility is not among non-golfers to find out about golf. The responsibility is golf's to tell its story to non-golfers, to somehow work out ways to push in there. Now, we're both journos, Rick. How do we do that? I think what we need to do is we need to take a little bit of a page out of what just happened in the Southern with the Southern California golf association. You know, they, um, Christina Garcia introduced her bill and right away they, they took the offense. They went on offense instead of playing defense. They, they got out in front of cameras. They got, they got the people who frequent these golf courses, the people who, who the, the patrons, the people who play it. And they got them on camera and they and it, telling a camera and basically the world what municipal golf and what municipal golf in their state means to them and how important it is for their family and their friends. And maybe that's something that that we really need to be more cognizant of in, in terms of maybe it's not the the it's maybe it's maybe it's more we need more depth to our stories and what i mean by that is we need more a more broader reach we you know we need to get we need to get more um video and and things that people can see uh, more readily and and uh, and that kind of thing and and sort of going in a little bit more in that direction again like i said before change the playbook a little bit mm. how great would it be if you could if you could get Tiger Woods on on camera telling the world how much municipal golf meant mm-hmm. to him growing up in the, in the state of California, yeah. mm-hmm. what would that be worth? Mm-hmm. The greatest player of all, the, the, the yeah. greatest professional of all time, yeah. telling people exactly where he started, how he started, and how important it was to him. My gosh. Yeah. Ironically, and, how, and, and he could do that, Rod, in 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 what a minute? In fact, ninety it, seconds. The truth is, he probably would, Rick. He'd be mm-hmm. quite ironically. Most of those who play on the PGA Tour who play the game professionally, we've had Meg McLaren on this podcast say exactly that. This is a, a, a storyline in golf that she follows closely. She started at a public golf facility; wouldn't be where she is without it. I think. By far, the majority of professional golfers around the world will tell the same story, and they'd be happy to proactively go out and push that narrative. Of course, we don't ask them. They're, I mean, they're also just, I mean, they're just kind of busy with their week to week routine. I'm not saying that's an excuse. I'm just saying you've got to break into that bubble. Yes, and it and the access to that bubble comes via the PGA Tour. Yeah, and. The PGA Tour is by far. You see the, the roadblocks already, aren't you? <laughs> the PGA Tour is by far the biggest 
platform that golf has to communicate to the general public, to non-golfers. The vast majority of viewers of PGA Tour golf are golfers, but there is a large platform there which non-golfers do have some visibility to. It's uh, We talk about it being... Um, you know the uh, the PR mechanism for golf. You know, it, professional golf attracts golf. You could take away all professional golf, and, and golf would still go on. Um, but nonetheless, it is this extremely visible. There would be longer term ramifications for that, but you're absolutely there, there right. Would there be, wouldn't yeah. have no impact next Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, but the PJ Tour just is incredibly uninclined to do this. And but if if you zoomed out and looked at the situation, you go, well, you've got this enormous platform over here. Like if you took a completely objective view of golf from a thousand foot view, you'd go, you've got this enormous public platform over here. Why aren't you using that? Shouldn't you be? Doing yeah, shouldn't that? shouldn't the PGA Tour be doing? But then if they do it, it's the most banal lip service that they oh. give it. Like banal stuff. Like oh, the last we're, we're playing you'd on like a do it would be the PGA. Tour. The, the, is, is the it, course in Texas. Is it not oh, we're playing in, on a public course. Is it not well. in Jay Monahan's best interest, though, Adrian, to to want to try to increase the eyes and the visibility on his brand, it's not the low hanging fruit, though, Rick. It's there's there's so I, you can just keep preaching to your existing audience, and I think it's an interesting point. I think it's yeah. a poor business decision on the it part is of the PGA business. Tour it to not business. be interested in yeah. golf worldwide and into these. But but I don't think you're going to change their minds about that. They're at the moment they're rolling in gambling money. They just found forty million bucks for a PIP under the couch somewhere. All of a sudden, so that the, there's no incentive, and if it's not broken, Rick, why would you fix it? If you're Jay Monahan, I, I kind of get that. If the players' advisory council said to you, "Why are you spending all this money on this messaging about public golf when there's nothing wrong with the PGA Tour? It's not the PGA Tour's charter, and that may be the problem. The PGA Tour's charter is not to grow up. The PGA is different. It doesn't the have P- the platform, but the P- but it doesn't have the platform. But the PGA Tour does not have that in its charter. Let's put that aside for a moment, Rick. Something else I wanted to ask you about, and it goes back to us being journos. What role? And I think this has been quite important and a slow erosion. What role does the removal of golf from our mainstream press play in all of this? Almost no newspaper has a golf writer anymore. <clears throat> no, no, no question about it. I mean the the erosion of of golf journalism. Um, Worldwide, you know, certainly I don't, I don't t- pretend to know the effect it's had on, on Australia, but I certainly do know what it's got, what's happened here in, in Canada and, and throughout the United States. And there's, um, you know, now you're, you're, you're looking at that these influencers and people who blog from their, their basement and their pajamas and that kind of thing. And they're being paid to do it. And, and, uh, so the, the I, I would say that the erosion of, of of golf journalism overall has certainly had a had a, a significant uh, impact on us uh, being able to tell stories. It's very hard to be profound in 240 characters on Twitter. <laughs> I yeah, mean, you know, we can try all we want, but it's it's uh, it's just about impossible to be able to to tell a story unless you're willing to do like a tenor uh, a, a tenor uh, twelve post thread, and so. Um, I think that actually still has a place. I still think it's important. Um, but to get to the real heart of the stories, the, the I, I can look at myself personally, Rod, and tell you that that I was, I now have um, one, I, I was working for up to eight publications um, at one time, only about maybe a decade ago. I, I now officially work for two. Um, score golf and my golf spy. That's it. 
And, and the My Golf Spy thing was just more recent. So when we look at, when we look at such a broad topic like municipal golf and, and the importance of it, and nobody's out there being able to, you know, no one's, they're not enough, I should say, because there are people out there telling those stories. We have, we have one up here in Canada called the Preferred Lie, and they've taken a, there are, there are five Toronto guys, they've taken a huge interest in, in the public golf and municipal golf space, and they've, they're doing a credible job. Um, I would urge you, if you, either of you, if you get a chance to take a look at what happened uh, recently with our most re- recent episode with Vancouver which is another hotbed for municipal golf in, in Canada. So, but to your point, yeah, I mean, we, we've, we've lost, we've lost the voices that the so many important, meaningful voices that I grew, you know, that, that, that are colleagues of mine that, that, that I grew up with. And um, it's, it's so sad to see a lot of them sidelined now. Um, and that's become a, a, a significant, uh, issue yeah i mean there's there's no quite makes me sad part of that log is a more general change in media and consumption isn't it i mean broadly speaking and i know that i'm guilty of this myself we're far more selective and can be far more selective about the media we choose to consume 25 years ago you got on the train with the paper and you read the paper until you arrived at your destination and that would include a whole bunch of stuff that maybe you weren't necessarily drawn to but you read it because there wasn't much else to do now you get on the train with your phone and you log into all the golf sites that you log into each day and you read just about golf and everything else kind of gets ignored. I'm not sure there's a solution to that. Yeah, there's two things. Everyone sets up their own echo chamber yep. and you only hear the news you want to hear and the vendors who are providing that news, your Facebooks and Twitters and Instagrams, they, they're they all optimised to deliver you what you want. You, it's extreme. Their, their algorithms all like take note of what you're interested in and just give you more of that. Mm. Uh, and then secondly, the um, the attention span of what you're willing to consume, even within your area of interest, is very limited. You, you want these short bites rather than, uh, you know, sitting down and, and reading. Were you going to say snackable content? Because no. you know that I'll jump across the table if you use that. <laughs> Ironically, you have one of the shortest attention spans <laughs> I've ever seen. That's, that's not that quite time. true, but it is, it is when, for some things. At, at times when you is, you can sort of, Make time and sit down and enjoy a, an article. I know you like to read a long article, but um, uh, I do it less than I used to. You do do less. Than That's you true. Used to. I do do. Yeah. Do you find that yourself, Rick? And I find even with podcasts, yeah. uh, I used to look at an hour podcast and never think twice. Now I think, oh, have I got the time? When am I going to fit that into my schedule? Media consumption's changed as well. I don't think there's nobody to sort of point the finger at and blame here. And I still think that's a process we're going through. At some point, it's going to settle a bit. We've kind of defined now what the delivery methods are. The The phone has become the newspaper, the TV, and the radio, but we haven't yet figured out how it will settle in people's consumption media. But there's a broader problem there about that and being able to – and I think that's going to be true of all spheres, be it political, uh, be it other sports. Getting outside your own bubble, your existing bubble, is going to get harder and harder because those who are in it are already in it and those who aren't in it – You never hear the other side. Well, kind of no. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we see that in politics, don't we? And, so. it's, and it's hard to fry, it's hard to get people to cross over. Yeah, yeah. it really is. Yeah. It's it's very difficult. Yeah, golf has and, and, and you know to make to to make another point. Um, you know, it's interesting that that and and, and you know, uh, Matt Janelle is a friend, and and um, 
And, you know, I look at what he and, and Alan Shipnuck have done with Fire Pit Collective and, and what's gone on there. So, you know, some of the, some of the, um, some of the medium is changing. And in some ways, in some cases, it's, it's actually for the, for the good. Uh, I look at that situation with, with them, you know, knowing that they have Ryan French from, from Monday Q um, as part of, uh, of what they do now. And they're, they're, they've entered just today into a, into a, a major new uh, initiative to, you know, to tell the stories of, um, of the um, uh, corn fairy and, and developmental tour players and that kind of thing. I think that's great. I mean, that's, I, I miss Q school. I, I, I miss that every year. I, 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 I just was heartbroken when, when that went away. So to, you know, to hear that some of these stories and, and there's a, an all encompassing way for it to come back to, to, to hear about some of these guys again, I think it's, I think it's great. So maybe at the same time as we've, we've seen a, a contraction of media, you know, when I see pop-ups like fire pit collective, like the preferred lie here in Canada, I'm, I'm, I, I feel good about that. I, I feel good that there, that maybe there's just a different outlet and a different way to tell golf story um, in a, in a, in a manner that might appeal to other people, yeah, because the general public. Uh, and I completely agree with you. And if, if, if the internet is to be thanked for eternity for giving us Ryan French, what a <laughs> what a discovery and a gift he's been to golf. You're absolutely right about mm-hmm. that. Because the problem with all of that, and including what we do here on this podcast and others that I'm involved with, is it really is for those who are already inside the bubble. It doesn't expand the bubble. So and it's great to have the it bubbles get within in. bubbles as well. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. So, exa- well, exactly right. No, we, I mean, we, we're talking to a, probably a public golf bubble right now. A lot of people oh, very much. might have seen what the topic of this week's podcast is about and just not, not listened to it. That's people- probably offset by the people who saw Rick's name and tuned in. So, you know, there's a yin and yang thing happening there. Big Canadian audience. Uh, Canadian audience. So, look, there's, there's issues around all that sort of stuff. But, but ultimately, how do we get people into golf, which is an age old question and most of what you see thrown up is sort of unworkable but without doubt the first and most important part of that is to have people have a place to play golf and that is what municipal golf is and that's the message that we're missing isn't it that's the message that doesn't get to the people that it needs to get to to make those decisions i'm not sure how you turn people who are anti-golf to not necessarily be pro-golf but to at least understand i mean it's always this is what always sort of bugs me about this rig all of those people who and you would have said, well, tell us, what was some of the, was there only pro-golf sort of um, testimonials given at this this public meeting the, the other week, or was there people from the other side giving their point of view as well? And if there was, so, what were they saying? There was there was 41 individuals that signed on to, to, to be part of the deputation, mm-hmm. which was significant. Mm. They actually moved it on the agenda from the first item on the agenda to the last item because there were so many people. Um, each of us had three minutes to, um, to, to say his or her piece. And of the 41 rod, I would say, I would say 35 were pro golf, Mm -hmm. the six people let's, let's, let's talk about the six people who, who weren't. So they were, um, they were people from the environmental community. They were people who were, who were supportive of, of urban farming. They were one individual was just. Uh, he just wanted uh, he just wanted the the space because he was a citizen uh, of the of the city, and he felt he should have the same access to it anytime he wanted, um, the same as anybody else. And and so if that meant go walking out and 
the middle of a, of a game on the, on the third hole. So be it. And so he was, he was a little, he was a little feisty. That's a free, uh, but, but more, more, more than more often than not, it was more of the environmental and the, the alternative use uh, argument side. They were trying to get their point across, but there was only five of them. The rest of the people that were that signed on were basically there to support um, municipal golf in the city of Toronto. And they included everybody from Canadian Golf Hall of Fame members like Lauren Rubenstein and, and Bob Weeks to um, the PGA of Canada executive director, Kevin Thistle, um, to other journalists um, that were were there, like, like myself. Um and, and then, but, but what really honestly hit home, I think, for the members of city council, I, I really think what hit home to them the most were the people who told their stories. The people who, like Lucy Falco, who's the, she's the head of the, um, of the Save the, the Golf Course campaign for the city of Toronto. She started that. She started that because she and her girlfriends would have no other place to play. They they are on budgets. It's not cheap to live in the city of Toronto. They rely on these courses uh, and the, the, um, the low green fee and what I would call the, the high level of experience, fun, that, that, go, into the, that go into these places. And so I, I think, honestly, the, the, the point that I think I feel like the, the members of city council in Toronto, I think they really got the message. I really think they heard the points. And I would be similar to what's gone on with the Southern California Golf Association. I, 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 keep, I always keep a little bit of, of um, cynicism for set aside. But um, I think that it certainly looks like this is going to end in a, in a reasonably good manner for the city of Toronto's courses. And I actually think that there's a possibility of some new investment being made because there was a number of people, including myself who put that forward, yeah. who feel like that they need, like there's no, there's no public driving range. There's no real, no real public putting green. Um, Lauren Rubenstein and I have talked about how great it would be to have, you know, a, a form of the Himalayas yeah. in, in a, in a city park where people could just walk on anytime they want and just putt. Mike Clayton I mean, maybe is shouting that's at his what we need right to. Now. <laughs> maybe we need to just showcase the game a little bit better in that manner. Yeah. Oh well, the more people you give access to it, the more people will start to understand it. So that's one of the things we don't sure. do is put golf clubs in enough people's hands. That's always been the way to turn people onto golf. Watching it, if you're a non-golfer, is of no value. It just all looks the same, doesn't it? Augusta National, Moor Park, is green grass, mm-hmm. and people with sticks. It's, unless you understand what's going on, you can never understand why that sort of might be interesting. Are they legitimate questions for other people to ask? I think it's perfectly legitimate when it comes to public space for everybody to be able to have a say. I think it's a perfectly legitimate question for urban farmers to say, why can't we use this public space, which is currently used for golf, for urban farms instead? To me, the responsibility is on golf to have an answer as to why. Absolutely. And and I'm looking to see the innocence in their questions as well. I'm sure the urban farming advocate doesn't need 50 hectares of urban farming. Um, like there, there's at Wallara Golf Club here in Sydney. There's uh, there's a little uh, community garden 
uh, with vegetables and everything. It's just off to the side of one of the holes. Vegetables and everything. <laughs> Tapped into your horticultural uh, knowledge there. I'm sure there's herbs and... <laughs> vegetables and everything. <laughs> there's stuff you can eat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's lovely, actually, and it's an adornment, a nice adornment to the golf course. You, you're going past and, and it, it adds to one of the little communal... Uh, uh, moods that you you get at different phases of the round at Wallara, like you you go in and out of the community. It's very much yes, very Sydney's much. sort of winter park, yeah. but part of it is that there's a little urban garden there um, where people come and yeah do their herbs and, and vegetables and, and everything. stuff, everything fruit. I'm sure there's fruit there. <laughs> He's clutching now. What else grows on trees? And plants? Vegetable. Well, I think fruit? I, I think too that that that, that Adrian's hitting on a point here that's very important. I mean, if you look at the alternative uses that are actually going on, on on municipal golf courses. The city of Toronto is a perfect example. I, I mean, they brought in the USGA's uh, Deacon um, model and and, um, and and project, and and they actually cut uh, winter uh, winter trails for the public to use. So so right now, as as I'm sitting here um, in the afternoon and in, in 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 here in Toronto at, at at 353, I'm sure that there are trails at the City of Toronto golf courses that are being used extensively. They have disc golf on them, um, that they have dog walking available. Uh, there's tobogganing, I believe, on, on some of them. And I think, you know, some of them now are starting to entertain the, the idea of, of skating and, and uh, you know, public skating surfaces and, and, zip, zip and that kind of thing to really extend the use of the lands to, to, to other means. Yes. And I, I think that's that's great. I think that shows some initiative on the golf industry, industry's behalf of that it is just like like Logan saying we're 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 trying to Shit. showcase that that urban farming maybe there is a, a a place you know on the very one corner where it could be where it's out of the way that it's nobody's it's nobody's going to get hurt nobody's going to be affected. And it can be put in. And actually What's wrong with to that? the golf experience. There's nothing wrong with alternative yeah. uses. Yeah. Not at all. No. And and look, you know, the dog walking's an eternal thing. And uh, there's there's you're not using all 18 holes all day long on a golf course. And the guy who wants to walk across the fairway, because it's his right to walk across the fairway in the middle of a competition. Well, there's some common ground there as well. Like he could walk across the fairway, the first or the second fairway at about 5 p.m. after everybody's hit off. Like there's, that's a big, that's a lovely area. And I get it. I get it. Golf courses are really nice. Like it's nice to walk around a golf course. Well, this is a part of the problem is that we saw this at Northcote. People who'd never been on the golf course at Northcote before during the lockdown, they came through the fence and they found this Disneyland of open space, right. these incredibly manicured grass and beautiful place to walk. I think Sandy Jamison made the point: if you ever walked barefoot on a golf course, you know, God, more of this. It's like carpet. It's amazing. And so then those same people then campaigned to have the, t- the golf taken away because they want this beautiful space. And what they don't realise is that in three months' time, it's just going to be like the ugly threadbare park, threadbare park down the road because that surface does not come at no cost. There's a cost to maintaining that golf course in that condition. And so what you're going to get if you close half of Moore Park is not a half that's left over that continues to look like the Moore Park golf course. What it turns into is what the rest of Centennial Park looks like. It's when you get the gang mowers come in and very little um, environmental management. It's just mow from boundary to boundary. When I look at the situation with Moore Park, I I look at it from the standpoint of you, you just said it, Rod. I mean, these people, they didn't know what they had. 
um, until they actually got to use it. Yeah. And now they don't want to give it up and see, maybe this is part of the problem. It's that kind of that old two sides of an argument. And then the truth is kind of in the middle. I think what we need to find is, is some, we need to find more common ground. We need to have more conversations um, that can really try to appease both sides of, of the argument, you know, to my earlier point. I mean, I think that's what this industry really needs to strive for and, 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 and work towards. And I think, honestly, I, I think, you know, the USGA green section, you know, my friend, Matt Pringle, he's doing some amazing work in, 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 in this regard with his staff. I don't pretend to know what's going on in, in, in Australia. Uh, you guys could speak to that a little bit more, but the one thing I do know is if you lose Moore Park, if, if, if Lord Mayor Clover Moore gets her wish and, and um, that we, you lose nine holes of, of that particular facility, that is going to hurt a lot of people as much as help a lot of people. Mm. And, and I, I think those are some of the stories that also need to be told. Which is what Sandy What does. happens yeah. when you lose public golf. Yeah, that's right. It if it, if it ever came to that, golf should be offering up some private course on a platter or something. <laughs> Take because, this. Yeah, that's right. It should, it should, <laughs> yeah. it should be saying, look, no, here's our sacrificial limb. Well, is, what's, we'll what's cut, the role of private we'll cut golf? Cut that limb off because the, the last facility in the whole of Australia that should be closed is more part oh, absolutely it's maybe the most you could make a case it's the most influential golf course without in australia that. yeah without it introduces that. more people to the game it's more accessible than any other course it's a very good golf course close to a cbd absolutely and makes money it makes it actually city. kind of unique yeah. in the in the entire world there's not that many places in the world where there's a public golf course of that quality that close to a major absolutely. cbd yeah you can catch a taxi there affordably yeah. from almost any part of the the sydney cbd we won't go into it now but it does beg the question what's the role of private golf in the maintenance of public golf, because private golf has a very real invested interest, even though it may choose to ignore it, in public golf remaining strong, because that's where their future members come from. Almost nobody starts this game at a private facility. The children of some existing members do, but by far the majority of people, and it's a point that Sandy makes all the time, at your next competition at your private club, at the presentation when everyone's in the clubhouse, ask everyone who started their golfing life at a public course to put their hand up. He said, and it's unlikely that any hands will stay down. And he's 100% right. Mm. So there's a role for private golf to play in this. It's just one that they haven't yet, for the most part, it seems. Royal Melbourne's done a fantastic job in this area in many ways. Haven't yet chosen to to take up. We won't talk about that today because it's a a fairly big issue. Rick, uh, last thing, you've already said that the, the future looks okay for Toronto. The key, I guess, is to take that momentum and keep rolling, isn't it? The danger is to think, oh, there you go, we won that. And I think this is what's happened with Moore Park. We've kind of stopped talking about it within golf. Uh, we know the issue is going to come back, so we've got to keep that momentum going. So that's the, the trick now for the future, isn't it? That's the trick. And, and, and like I say, I keep referring to the playbook, yeah. right? So in other words, don't close the playbook. No. Expand it. Yeah. You know, to try to take try to take some of the ideas, you know, just things that we've talked about today. Don't ignore them. Try to try to get as much feedback as you can from as 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 many of the interested people that you have on this issue. Try to engage them. I, I think that's part of the issue with this whole thing, is there's just hasn't been enough engagement on it overall. But when I see somebody Rod, a Adrian, when when I see a guy like like Martin Slumbers invest mm. 
Mm. In in public golf, in municipal golf, in in Glasgow, Scotland, at Lethem Hill, mm. to the point where they where the RNA buys it, yep. and and are now converting it for that city. I that makes me feel incredibly good because I know that that if the RNA does that, then then there will be copycats out there, and there will be people that will use that template to their advantage, and and they will do the same thing. I don't know. I'm not saying for a minute that that Mike Watt is go out, is going to go out and do the same thing or anything like that, or Lawrence Applebaum here in Canada. But the fact that it's being done, I think, is a testament to how important municipal golf and public golf actually actually it actually is. Yep, they can create a and blueprint there, can't they? Lawrence Applebaum. Martin said it. It's a great it's name for the people, that's- right? Golf is a game for mm, the people, absolutely, and that's what we really need to to, to keep our focus on. Yeah. And you wrote an excellent piece on this, which we'll link to, Rick. Uh, I think it was for the Toronto Star, looking at that example from Glasgow and saying, look, here, here it is, a, an Here's example for the rest of the world. Yeah. Winter Park is another one that's a fabulous example. I know that they're expanding. Oh, Sa- Sandringham, Sandringham, Sandringham here in Melbourne, here in Melbourne is a great example. Fantastic. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So we just need- Has a Himalayas putting green too, Rick. Yeah, you- <laughs> that's right. Just opened uh, <laughs> just after Christmas. So. Go uh, Hill Park, Winter Park. I mean, there's just so many great- uh, uh, There's a uh, few, isn't there? Um, like so many incredibly uh, more park, there's so many incredibly great stories re- revolving around municipal golf. And maybe what we need to do is maybe we need to get our eyes maybe off of the the Phil Mickelson's, Tiger Woods, and 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 um, and Nelly Cordes of the world, and maybe we should try to you know tell some of the stories that are going on in some of the municipal and public golf courses of of uh, of, of this planet. Brooke Henderson, mate, not Nelly Corder. Brooke Henderson finished second yesterday. Didn't get a shot on Golf Channel. They reckon. I must have read a must have read a hundred tweets that they didn't show it. Virtually the only shot I saw of Brooke Henderson, I probably watched the last hour of the telecast, was unfortunately she topped one into. She topped a three wood, flat out topped it like it went went about thirty yards. It was really embarrassing. It's the only shot I saw. And a lot of Canadian fans, as we've done here in Australia in the past, complaining that we've got players in contention and the TV won't show them, and it's. Matt, Matt Jones that. always p- poses a problem for broadcasters, doesn't well, he? He's so quick. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's all over before you. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Always, always remember that Nielsen Nielsen ratings in the United States are are based on uh, watchability from from uh, yeah uh, from uh, the the eyes that uh, from from down there. So that's why they show more Americans all the time. Abs- yeah, absolutely, there's no no question about that. But Brooke Henderson is one of my favourite golfers, without a doubt. She's been here in Australia a number of times. I got to follow her out at Royal Adelaide a couple of years ago at the Australian Women's Open. She didn't play her best, but my goodness, what a magnetic personality and what a player to go and watch. Just phenomenal. So, a lot uh, of fun. Yeah, fantastic. Rick, it's been fabulous of you to join us and give us so much of your time. We thank you for that. This is not the last time we'll talk, I'm sure, either publicly or privately, because I'm sure that we're all on board with continuing ways to try and drive this message. It's been great to catch up with you today, and hopefully your winter ends soon and you get back out on the golf course. Thank you, mate. Thanks, pal. I appreciate it, Adrian. Thanks, pal. Thanks, Rick. And great thank to see you. you. All right. Okay, good to see you. And that's it for episode 99, the Good Good Golf Podcast. Um, we'll be back again to do it all next week with episode 100, which we won't be doing anything special for because that's how we're wired here on the Good Good Golf Podcast.